Chapter 4, verses 11 through 25 of the Great Commentary of Cornelius Elipedi, St. Matthew's Gospel, by Cornelius Elipedi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Then the devil, etc. Rayleigh Anon in Catina says, The end of contests is found when the adversary yields to his victor of his own will, or is vanquished by a threefold fall, according to the rules of Pulgolism. For he who has thrice overcome his antagonist is plainly his superior. Then the angels approached Christ in his human form, which he had assumed, and congratulated him, and brought him food, and rendered him other offices of their service, as their creator and their lord. Learn from hence that he who bravely conquers the devil is rewarded by the ministry, the strengthening, and the consolation of these angels. For the conqueror of Satan becomes, as it were, one of the angels. Origen and Abulensius are of the opinion that when the devil tempts a person to some particular sin, and has been by him thoroughly vanquished, he does not tempt him any more in the same way. Salmeron, the Judist, thinks the same. But it is more probable that the devil, having been once thoroughly vanquished either by Christ or Christians, only departs from them for a season, as St. Luke says, and returns whenever another occasion offers to try them by a similar or even by the same temptation. For so St. Anthony was often tempted in the same way, and St. Paul was frequently, and of long continuance, tempted by the same thorn in the flesh. Let us hear St. Ambrose. Rightly are these three temptations of Christ shown to be fountains of all sins. Nor would Scripture have said that all the temptation was ended, unless there were in these three the material of all offenses, the seeds of which must be avoided in their origin. The end of temptations is the end of desires, because the causes of temptations are the causes of desires. The causes of desires are the pleasing of the flesh, the show of glory, the greed of power, and after a little you see then that the devil is not persevering in his zeal, that he is accustomed to yield to true courage, and though he does not leave off to envy, he ceases to attack, because he has often fled away when triumphed over. After much more, St. Ambrose thus concludes, Therefore he who wishes to give a crown suggests temptations. Whenever thou art tempted, know that a crown is being prepared. Verse 12. When Jesus had heard, etc., Matthew, Mark, and Luke all omit the embassy of the Jews to John the Baptist, asking him if he were the Messiah. To this first year of Christ's ministry pertain also the turning water into wine, the driving of buyers and sellers out of the temple, and the discourse with Nicodemus. These all took place before the imprisonment of the Baptist, and are related only by St. John. For before his imprisonment, Christ had committed to John the work of preaching, but now he took that office upon himself. Moreover, when Christ heard of John's imprisonment, he departed out of Judea into Galilee, because he fled from Herod, that he might not imprison him as he had done John. In Galilee, therefore, he began solemnly to preach that he might fulfill Isaiah's prophecy, of which, more presently, you may say Herod reigned in Galilee, not in Judea. Why then did Christ, to avoid Herod, flee into Galilee? 
I reply, because John, preaching in Judea, near Jericho, and gathering together the multitudes, was accused to Herod, probably by the scribes and Pharisees, for they had been sharply rebuked by John, and called a generation of vipers. In their anger they suggested to Herod, who they knew was hostile to John, and he should apprehend him, lest he should make a tumult and incite the people to rebellion. Josephus says that Herod slew John through fear of the rising of the people who flocked to John. The same scribes and Pharisees were, it is probable, hostile to Christ, who had been pointed out by John, and who was wont equally with John freely and publicly to rebuke their vices. And although John had baptized in Judea, he had perhaps passed into the neighboring Perea, which was subject to Herod. When Herod therefore heard of John's apprehension, he fled from Judea into Galilee, lest he should be discovered by the same scribes and Pharisees, that with the connivance of the Roman governor to Herod. But Jesus was not afraid of Herod himself, because he had not offended him personally, as John had, by reproving his adultery. This Herod Antipas was the son of Herod of Ascalon, the murderer of the innocents. This was the second departure of Christ from Judea into Galilee. The first is related by John 1.43, and is the same which is referred to by St. Mark, St. Luke, and St. John. Verse 13, And leaving his own city, etc. Leaving, i.e. passing it by, Jesus did not wish to enter Nazareth, although it was his own city, to begin his preaching there. St. John gives the reason, because a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Therefore he went to Capernaum, and set up there his chair of preaching. Observe, there were two Galilees, one lower Galilee in the tribes of Issachar and Zebulon, in which was Nazareth, and upper Galilee in the tribes of Asar and Naphtali, in which was Capernaum, and which was called Galilee of the Gentiles, because it bordered upon Phoenicia, and was largely peopled by Gentiles, a considerable portion of it was given by Solomon to Hiram, king of Tyre. Capernaum, which is by the sea, because it was near the Jordan, where it flows into the Sea of Galilee, from its situation it became a most celebrated emporium for merchandise, and the metropolis of Galilee. In wealth, luxury, and beauty, it far surpassed all the other cities of Galilee, and thence derived its name. For Capernaum is as though Caffer Nahum, i.e. field of pleasantness or delight, as St. Jerome says on Hebrew names. In this city, then, Christ began to preach the kingdom of God, and to rebuke the luxury and vices of its citizens, and to call them away from earthly goods, from wealth and pride to heavenly riches. This he did both by his preaching and his miracles. It was here that he healed the paralytic man, who was let down through the roof upon a bed, in Capernaum he restored to sight two blind men, and healed the dumb man who was possessed of a devil. Here, whilst walking in the street, he cured the palsied servant of the centurion. Here he healed the woman with an issue of blood, who touched the fringe of his garment. Here he raised from death Jairus's daughter. But when its inhabitants, swelling with pride and luxury, gave no heed either to his words or his miracles, and would not be moved to repentance. At last he pronounced upon them the sentence, and thou Capernaum, etc. Chapter 11.23 That it might be fulfilled, etc. There is an apposition here. 1. 
there is the land of Zebulon and Naphtali, which is by the way of the sea. 2. There is the country across the Jordan, and the whole district was called Galilee of the Gentiles. This land, I say, was illuminated by Christ, making known the light of the gospel to them that dwelt therein. The word Gentiles here denotes that Christ was about to transfer the kingdom of God from the Jews because of their unbelief to the Gentiles. So St. Chrysostom. The people which sat in darkness, etc. I have expounded this prophecy at length in Isaiah 9.1, which see, From that time Jesus began, etc. This was the sum and scope of the preaching of Christ, to invite men to repentance, to change their course of action, and lead them to a holy life. For this is true wisdom, this our end, our goal, our good, our happiness. Truly says the gloss, to the gospel pertains the promise of blessedness, the remission of sins, adoption, resurrection, the heavenly inheritance, the society of angels. By the gospel kings are made, and a kingdom given, not earthly and transitory, but heavenly and eternal. Wherefore, Babylus, the play actor who had two concubines, hearing these words of the gospel, read, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Being touched by the finger of God, learned wisdom, and shut himself up in a cell to do penance for the rest of his life. He left his riches to his concubines, but they too, pricked with compunction by his example, also shut themselves up in cells, and did continual penance. Verily the word of the gospel is quick and powerful. Appositely did Christ preach repentance in Galilee, because Galilee is the same as transmigration, says St. Gregory and others, from the root Gala, he migrated. For in Galilee Christ taught men in mind, and affection, and love to migrate from earth to heaven. Wherefore also he chose for apostles none but Galileans, i.e. migrators, men who were but pilgrims upon earth and citizens of heaven. This transmigration is accomplished by penance. How strict and of how long duration was the penance upon bread and water in former times. This appears from the Roman penitential and from the penitential canons of Saints Basil, Gregory Neeson, and Bede, of Robanus, Morius, and Burchardius, which are still extant. In Spain, the sick and those about to die did penance, clothed in the monastic habit, and received the tonsure, by which they made profession of a monastic life. And if they afterwards recovered, they were not bound to return to the world, but to pass the rest of their life in a monastery. This appears from the Twelfth Council of Toledo. Wamba, king of Spain, a great example of posterity, did this about A.D. 674. For this reason, the pontifical penitentiaries at Rome carry a rod in their hand, because they are apostolic judges in the tribunal of conscience. For a straight rod is borne before a judge as an emblem of the rectitude of justice, according to that which is said of Christ. Psalm 45.7 A rod of direction is the rod of thy kingdom. Vulgate. Because also in grave and public offenses, especially those to which excommunication was annexed, the penitentiaries reciting the psalm miserere used to beat the guilty person with a rod, and thus they give absolution, as is appointed even now in the ancient ritual of the church, sanctioned by the canons, and solemn absolution from excommunication. 
Thus St. Anneau, Bishop of Cologne, sharply whipped the Emperor Henry II as a penance, A.D. 1056, as can be seen in his life in Sirius. And the use of this discipline, as it is commonly called by rods, inflicted either by the penitent himself or by the penitentiary, was very common in the time of Blessed Peter Damian, who flourished A.D. 1040, as is plain from many of his epistles, also from the life of St. Dominic Lorcatus, where he says that a hundred years' penance is performed by reciting the whole Psalter twenty times, accompanied by constant flagellation, for one Psalter so said is equal to five years of penance. Thus Henry II, King of England, because he had given occasion for the murder of St. Thomas, Archbishop of Canterbury, came as a penitent, with bare feet to the tomb of St. Thomas, and prostrate on the earth confessed his sins, with tears at the feet of the bishops, and bearing his shoulders received from them five flagellations, and from each of the monks, who were eighty in number, he received three strokes of the rod. This was about A.D. 1170. What does our delicateness say to this? What has become of the ancient penance? Let us hear what St. Jerome says of St. Paula in her epitaph. She did not sleep upon a bed, but upon sackcloth, spread upon the bare ground, if indeed that could be called sleep, which was interrupted by almost continual prayers, day and night, fulfilling the words of the psalm. Every night I wash my bed and water my couch with my tears. You might have thought she was possessed of a fountain of tears, so did she weep over her trifling faults, that you might have imagined her guilty of the most dreadful crimes. Often did we admonish her to have mercy upon her eyes, and preserve them for the reading of the gospel. But she said, It is meet that this face should be defiled, which so often against the command of God had been adorned with cosmetics and vermilion. It is meet that this body should be afflicted, which indulged in so many luxuries. A long laughter shall be recompensed with constant weeping. Soft kerchiefs and precious silks shall give place to rough sackcloth. I, who pleased my husband and the world, now desire to please Christ. See the same epistle graphically describing the rare penance of Fabolia. Jesus walking by the sea, etc., it is not the first vocation of Peter and Andrew which is here recorded. This is related by St. John, among the events of the first year of Christ's ministry. The second vocation of Peter and Andrew was after the Baptist's imprisonment, when they surrendered themselves at Christ's call to become his disciples, when they constantly cleaved to him and never returned to their former occupations. The second calling of these apostles is related both by Matthew and Luke, by the former compendiously, while St. Luke, after his want, narrates the particulars of the history more at length. So St. Chrysostom. Walking, not by chance, not merely for recreation, but that he might call to him Peter and Andrew, James and John. Let Christians, especially priests and religious, strive to imitate Christ, and do nothing aimlessly, but seek fruit in all things. By the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, where Christ had chosen a house for receiving his disciples, was near this lake. Simon, for this is from the Hebrew, Soama, hearing, obeying. Andrew is a Greek name, which the Jews, after the time of Alexander the Great, took from the Greeks, together with such names as Jason, 
Lysimachus, Menalius. Andrew means strong, brave, and such indeed St. Andrew was upon his cross. Casting a net, we must supply from St. Luke chapter 5 that Christ went up into Peter's ship and taught the multitudes from thence, that after that he bade Peter cast a net into the sea, which immediately caught a vast number of fishes, so that the net brake, that by this miracle Peter was converted, together with Andrew, James, and John, that then Christ said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, as St. Matthew here records. Fishers of men, for Christians are like fishes swimming in the waters of baptism. There are merchandise and nets and ropes, death the reward, virtue the prow, the kneel is health above, faith the ropes, true godliness the mast, the sail is hope, the oars are grace, the captain is true love. This is the ship of Christ's church, in which we sail to heaven. I have noticed nineteen analogies between fishes and men, upon Habakkuk 1.14, which if you please you may consult. Hence Christ is called by the Christians, Echtheros, a fish, because its initial letters make this acrostic, Jesus Christos Theos Sotir, or Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, on which there is extent a verse of the Etherean Sibyl in St. Augustine. See Tertullian and Prosper. St. Luke says, From henceforth thou shalt catch men, Greek, Zogron, i.e. take them alive, catch them for life. St. Ambrose translates, Make them live, as though Christ had said, Fishermen take fishes for death, that they may kill them. But thou, O Peter, shalt catch men unto life, that they may begin a new life, and live unto God in holiness. Well does St. Augustine say, Christ, wishing to break the nets of the proud, sought not the fishermen by means of the orator, but from the fishermen he gained the emperor. Great is Cyprian the orator, but first was Peter the fisherman. In this was fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah. Behold, I will send many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish you. Leaving their nets. Under this term, nets understand also ships, houses, occupations, servants, parents, relations, and all other things whatsoever, according to that saying of St. Peter to Christ, Lo, we have left all things and followed thee. When then we read that after Christ's death the apostles went a-fishing, we do not understand that they again betook themselves to their old vocation, but only did it to pass the time, and to divert their minds from the affliction which they were enduring at the loss of their master. Wisely does St. Bernard say to those who fear to follow God's call on high and arduous things, Why dost thou fear? Why dost thou hesitate? The angel of great counsel calls thee. No one is wiser than he. No one is stronger. No one is more faithful. Tropologically, the scoliast on St. Jerome says, Let us leave the spider's nets, which are the vanities of this world, in which we are held. And going on from thence, etc. James in Hebrew, Jacob, a supplanter. For he supplanted the world and all worldly things, that he might follow Christ. Zebedee, i.e. liberal, munificent. For though he was an old man, he willingly gave to Christ his two sons, who were the staff of his old age. Zebed means to give, to bestow. John, the grace of God, for Christ poured his grace upon John more abundantly than upon the rest of the apostles. 
by this apostolic chariot of four horses, we are carried to heaven on these four cornerstones the church was first built. Verse 22. They straightway, etc. Observe Luke rolls the vocation of these four apostles into one. But St. Matthew relates the particulars of the calling, one of Andrew and Peter, two of James and John. The historical sequence is as follows. Christ, having been carried in Peter's boat, and having landed on the shore, then called Peter and Andrew. Going on a little further, he saw James and John mending the nets, which had been broken by the miraculous draught of fishes. Then he called these two, saying, Follow me. They, being moved by the miracle and the example of their partners, straightway left their father in all things and followed Christ. So St. Augustine. Jesus went about, etc. Sickness, Greek, gnosis, and habitual, organic, or incurable disease, says Euthemius. Disease, Greek, malachon, i.e. languor, infirmity, failure of strength. And his fame, Greek, echoi, i.e. rumor report. Torments, Greek, vasanios. This word means properly examination under torture. When an accused person was tormented on the little horse, to make him confess his crimes and accomplices. Lunatics are sick persons who suffer from the changes of the moon, either by sickness or delirium or madness, especially epilepsy, though Valeus denies that the moon has such an effect, and healed them. From none of these did Christ require faith, says St. Chrysostom, for he had not yet manifested his power, and those who came from far had as yet but little faith in him but afterwards he required faith on the part of the sick, as will appear in the sequel. Clouds of miracles, says St. Chrysostom, does St. Matthew pass over in few words, a few of which he afterwards relates at more length. Mystically, lunatics are mutable and inconstant persons, who at one time serve God in religion, at another the devil, and their lusts according to the words in Ecclesiastes 27.12, a holy man abides in wisdom like the sun but a fool changes like the moon. Followed him. Here's St. Bernard. From the cities and villages, the people followed the preaching of the Lord. He saved their souls. He healed their bodies. They claved to him, being delighted both by the sight of him and by his words. His voice was sweet. His face was comely. As it is written, Thou art fairer than the children of men. Full of grace are thy lips. Such is he whom we follow, to whom we adhere who is altogether desirable, upon whom not the people only, but the holy angels themselves desire to look. Decapolis, i.e. the region of ten cities, from Deca ten and Polis a city. The names of these ten cities, according to Bouchard, were Tiberias, Safet, Asor, Kadesh, Caesarea Philippi, Capernaum, Totopata, which Josephus defends against the Romans, Bethsaida, Chorazam, and Beshan, or Sethopolis, beyond Jordan, i.e. in respect of Galilee, which was on this side of Jordan. These regions were Gilead, Trecrutinus, Abilene, Seir, Clolosyria, and Batania, the ancient Bashan, formerly the dominions of King Og. End of chapter 4. End of the Great Commentary of Cornelius Aelopidi. St. Matthew's Gospel, chapters 1 through 4.
by Cornelius Elipetti, translated by Thomas Wimberly Mossman.